country back to through another episode of 12 monkeys doing our after show thing that we love to do following the latest episode and we got a lot to talk about tonight a lot went down but before we do that let me just get into some introductions i'm your host pacing pete alongside always from the flash podcast from the marvel report and from comic book resources miss lauren galloway hello how's it going lauren great uh, and also joining us back, uh, he uh, hasn't been back for a while, but it's good to have him back on the show from the GWW, Hank Hill. What's up, Hank? How's it going? It's going good. Um, so let's just get into this. So much happened tonight. We had a very Cassie and Jennifer-centric episode. You know, it's it's funny. We've gotten a lot of, you know, Ramsey-centric episodes or Ramsey and Cole or Cole and, you know, uh, Cole and Jennifer, but... This is one team-up that I thought would be very interesting because the dynamic is just so interesting, seen as in the first episode of the second season, um, Cassie had a gun pointed to Jennifer and was ready to take her out, uh, didn't really think about the uh, the uh, effects from that, but it, it was really interesting. Um, Lauren, what did you think of, of their dynamic tonight and how... You know, it started off a little bumpy, and then there was some normal conversations and, and just kind of their relationship overall tonight. It was great to see Jennifer and Cassie go on a little road trip. And I know that Amanda Scholl, she periscoped a couple days ago, and somebody asked her, are we going to see Jennifer and um, Cassie, like, spend more time together? And she actually said, yeah, this week, this Monday's episode is going to cover that. So it was fun to see them spend time together and get to know each other and not necessarily be at odds anymore. And I feel like, you know, especially because Jennifer took Cassie to her childhood home where she experienced this great trauma, I think Cassie has a better perspective of Jennifer now. Like, she doesn't just see her as this eccentric kind of crazy person who was willing to blow up the world, but actually as a really damaged kind of vulnerable person who needs to be protected instead of feared, which I thought was, was really cool to see. Hank, what did you think of them choosing to have Cassie go back? Cause she was very reluctant to even do that in the beginning. What were your thoughts on, on it being Cassie instead of Cole or Ramsey? Yeah, I, I think uh, they all realized that in order to pull off what they're trying to pull off, which is, you know, pretty big, the, the end of the universe as we know it, you know, that the, the team needs to be strong and everybody needs to be able to work with each other. I just think it gave them an opportunity, which they haven't had. They're, you know, they're pretty opposite in their personalities and the way they go about things. But I think this episode allows them to both kind of see each other in a different light and uh, kind of share some common some common ground. And I think going forward, they're definitely going to uh, have a lot to say about what happens. Yeah, and and. To go back to Cassie, you know, and, and, and how she was chosen to to go on this mission, you know, what was interesting was when we started the episode, uh, it started with uh, the striking woman, Olivia. And so when we see her in the opening sequence, she's drinking some water that um, I'm just going to say opens a breach to the Red Forest. I know that's very flash, but that's the that's the closest thing I, I got for that. But, you know, she goes to uh, she goes through this breach and she's at the Red Forest and it's there that she's speaking with uh, the witness who is giving all her all the instructions uh, from the wall. You know, um, Lauren, what do you think of, of one of the things that the witness said was, was prepare Cassandra. Now, why do you think – now, this is getting into a little bit of theories. Why do you think that Cassandra plays such a huge part? Because even Olivia did not know why it's Cassandra even 
through all this? It's really hard to say why the witness wants Cassandra. Obviously, as we saw towards the end of the episode, you know, Cassandra, she drinks the red tea and she she's in that kind of weird mental place where she can interact with the witness. So he obviously has some sort of plan for her. And I feel like there's always been a plan for her because didn't they try to give her the the red tea leaves back in season one Mm -hmm. and she was hallucinating and she was seeing the red forest. So, I mean, you could say that Cassandra in a way could be like a Trojan horse because she's able to time travel. And if, if the witness were to compromise Cassandra mentally in any way, then that would leave the future up to vulnerability, which maybe that's what they're planning to do, but it's hard to say because we didn't really get to see too much of what was going on there. Yeah, and, you know, to keep going on the witness here, because the witness obviously is, as we're slowly le- learning, is the person that's, um, you know, pulling the strings here. We learn in this episode that the witness is a he. Now, I don't remember back through any of the episodes if they ever referred to it the witness is a he, but they were very, it was very clear in this episode. Um, Hank, do you have any ideas as to who the witness is? Do you think this is somebody that we know already? Maybe somebody that somebody that's already connected, or do you think this is going to be somebody completely separate um, from any of the characters that we've met before? Well, I, I think there's a chance that they're going to pull it from someone that we've already met. Uh, you know, it seems to be someone that has a lot of insight into what's going on. So, um, the, the one person that, that I immediately thought about was uh, the episode before this when they were back in 1944 and Cole kind of was working with the... Uh, oh, the, the detective? The detective. Yeah. And, you know, the, he kept saying, you know, I want to help, I want to help, and Cole told him, you know, you will. So, you know, he kind of had some information that maybe he shouldn't have had at that point. So I'm kind of, I don't know if it, if it is him, if he's caught up in it some way, but it seems like it's going to be someone that has information in a time and point that they shouldn't, and it's going to, you know, so that gives them a one-up on everyone else that they're around. So I just, it seems like the more they do, the deeper they get, like quicksand, you know? You never know what what blade of grass is going to turn into a dinosaur or whatever, you know? It's just, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, you know, and and... I ask you guys just because, you know, when I'm watching the show, uh, I'm also kind of trying to follow everybody on Twitter because whenever the witness is mentioned, there's just all these theories from a lot of fans who are just trying to decide or, or debate on who the uh, witness is. Um, Lauren, do you have any any uh, theories as to who the witness could be? Yeah, I think Hank's right. I mean, I think it's somebody that we have seen before because whenever a TV show hides the face of a character that typically means they're saving it for a really big reveal you know and hearkening back to the flash we know that the man in the iron mask on this season of the flash is going to be a face that we recognize uh, like an like an actor playing a different role because why would they be masked and so for the witness to be wearing that weird kind of 14th century plague mask thing to me that means there's somebody very significant under that mask now they could completely throw a curveball and have it be like a future version of Cole, <laughs> which i don't know why he would ever want to destroy the world but 
maybe something happens where he believes that he has to. Um, it could be Cole's mother. It could be Madeline Stowe, the actress from the first 12 Monkeys movie. I know she's making a cameo this season, although I think she's going to turn out to be Cole's mom. But That'd be cool. It could be... I'm trying to think. I mean, it could be uh, a different version of Jennifer's dad, who hmm. we haven't seen in a while. Yeah, it I could be... Him too. Ramsey. It could be. Um. It could be. What's her name? Uh. Doctor. Oh, Katarina. Uh, Katarina. I mean, it's so hard to say because we're not dealing with people in a linear way. We're dealing with people who are completely out of time. So, I mean, it could be somebody from the past who's manipulating. It could be somebody from the future. I think we're going to be in for a really big surprise when they unmask the witness. Yeah, it's um, it's funny, you guys. You brought up Cole, Lauren, because the name that I see brought up the most is Cole. A lot of people seem to think that um, he could potentially be the witness, and and you know, you got to wonder with everything we see him going through and and how he's sticking to his mission. Um, you got to wonder, like, how could it be him? Like you said, maybe something um, happens down the line that we don't know about yet, that we haven't seen, that maybe pushes Cole past the threshold that that makes him um, evil enough to want to destroy time and create this red forest um, that every, that at least, uh, at least for now, um, Cassie and, and, uh, and, and Olivia have seen, but, you know, quickly, really uh, quickly getting back to the uh, red forest. Um, now at the end, I, I know I'm jumping around here a little bit, but uh, Hank, what did you think of the reveal that, Potentially the witness, or maybe someone speaking through the witness, they was uh, in the in the shape of Aaron, who we haven't seen since you know uh, he died last season. Right. Yeah, that would be a huge uh, curveball, and, and that's one of the things I think that's so uh, captivating about the show is just the way they pull and 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 retrieve from different seasons, and it kind of keeps you on your heels. So it to me, the reveal just definitely kind of fell in line on things that they've already done and it's just like wow okay you know i didn't see that coming but i i, I liked it i thought it was really cool a way to kind of tie the seasons together yeah uh, lauren what did, did you like that reveal of, of aaron do you think it opens up other doors that we haven't seen yet it's so weird that it was aaron and i think it's really using aaron's face to try to manipulate cassie because she has so much guilt over him dying and that's never a good thing. I mean, it was so hard to watch Cassie in the bath with the flowers and with Olivia and just the whole idea that her mind is not necessarily a safe place right now and her having to see Aaron and his face looked all burned. I feel like I feel like if the witness is trying to manipulate Cassie, that's the face that he would try to use to do it because it's somebody that she trusts. Now, getting into minds and safe places... Let's talk about uh, Jennifer and Cassie's adventure. Excellent adventure, I should say. Um, you know, uh, it was it was interesting. You know, watching them get together and and form this this alliance that I didn't I thought would definitely be interesting because of their dynamic, like what I said earlier. But also, um, Hank, what did you think of uh, right when Cassie gets there? Uh, she's confronted by one of the messengers has has been posing posing as Jennifer's friend. Um, why, why do you think the messenger didn't try to take out Jennifer already? Well, 
I still think Jennifer plays some some huge role where they know that something happening on her, I think, could affect their plans. And so they, they seem very reluctant because they've had numerous opportunities if they want it. You know, it seems like they want Jennifer to do something. They want her to be the one that sets the plague in motion or you know, she's always been given these tasks. So I, I think by them uh, disguising themselves as her friend, it kind of puts her at a different perspective. Maybe Cassie will let something slip to her that maybe she wouldn't necessarily say to Jennifer. So it's it just kind of a kind of a Trojan horse in a sense, as, as Lauren said earlier. But it, it's, it's a good way to get her close without drawing much suspicion, in my opinion. So it's a good point, you know. And sticking with Jennifer, you know, what I really liked about uh, her in this episode, especially in the beginning, is you know you really see her trying to put all this stuff behind her. You know, she's she tells Cassie she's medicating herself all the time, trying to keep the voices away. She's just trying to improve herself better. I thought, you know, you got the song, you know, you're going to make it after all playing in the background. And, you know, everything seems right. like it's okay until it's not. And, Lauren, what did you think of how, you know, there's this image of this woman that she sees every now and then. Um, who do you think that could be and, and, and why do you think it's having this effect on, on Jennifer? I think that's her mom, and they kind of went into that with the flashbacks that she had, where her mother tried to drown her, and, like, her hair was wet because, you know, it was really messy in the bathtub. I, I think that's where they're going with that, that that was Jennifer's mom, and, like, Cassie said that her mom wasn't primary, but that she was really sick, and I think her mom, in her kind of weak mental state, she didn't know how to help Jennifer, so she thought, you know, quote-unquote silencing her would, like, help her in that kind of weird, kind of sick way. I think that's what they were trying to explain. You know, and sticking with the mom, what I thought was interesting about Jennifer talking about her mom was she said that, uh, you know, she was sick like her, but not, not, not to the point where she's drawing pictures of the 12 Monkey Army and she's got these visions – she said she was just pretty much just mentally sick. And so Leland had her put away. But what was interesting to me about that was, you know, there was no talk of her dying. There was no talk of her just disappearing. She's just not around. Um, uh, Hank, what do you think of that? Do you think that, that she could potentially play a part down the line? Or do you think she's just one of those cases where it's going to be kind of a throwaway thing? I, I definitely think that they have her stashed somewhere. And I think uh, some pivotal point coming up, you know, that'll always be a kind of an ace card that they can play that they know is going to get a reaction from Jennifer. You know, if they need to destabilize her, you know, for whatever reason to stop her from from working with Cole and Cassie, you know, reintroducing her mother into the fray, you know, what what better way to, you know, Jennifer already has all these problems and she's doing the best she can. And then you introduce something like that. And, you know, you're looking at a power keg that, it's possibly going to blow. <laughs> That's true. And, and how about I throw this out there? What if she could? Well, actually, no. I you know I just debunked that myself. I was going to say, well, what if she's the witness? But I just said that um, they already said that the witness is a he. But um, what's interesting about that is we haven't seen yet uh, a, a a visual like a full on representation of the witness. They just say they keep saying he. So so I guess I can still throw this out there, but. Maybe the witness has revealed themselves as a he to somebody like Olivia or somebody like Cassie, but could be somebody else. Do you think 
that's a possibility, Lauren. And if that's possible, do you think we could even throw uh, Jennifer's mom into the mix as a possible mess, uh, witness? I don't know if it would be Jennifer's mom, but I definitely think the witness could be a woman because the witness seems to communicate very cryptically because when he was talking to Olivia in the very beginning, he wasn't talking. He was writing on the walls. So I don't know if anyone has seen the face of the witness yet. Yeah, so the, I think it, it, I think it could be a woman. I don't, I don't want to rule that out. I mean, they might be saying he because that's an easier like pronoun to assume, but I, yeah, I think it could be a woman. Yeah, it could very much be a, a plan by the writers to put, you know, like a plot device to make us think that it's one thing when it's something completely different. A um, red hair. What's that? A good old red herring. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and you know, once uh, Jennifer and Cassie, you know, they seem to have everything together and. And they're you're on this mission, but just as it seems like everything's okay, they get interrupted by the man in the black hat and and uh, and and I'm assuming other members of the Twelve Monkey Army. Um, Hank, what did you think about their his um, how he got into the mix, and now they're at that point in the episode they were uh, prisoners basically, and and at the mercy of of the man in the black hat. I think it really follows up good with the previous episode for this one where they kind of show, they kind of uh, reveal what made the man in the black hat and kind of his motives. And so to come back this episode and he, he comes in and has this, you know, dramatic effect on the entire episode, I, I just think it, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's a good way of really, you know, tying the episodes together. And, you know, we always know this guy's bad news. I mean, every time he comes around, things just go bad. So, you know, it's very ominous and it's not good for them. They're, they're really in a tough spot, but um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they get away from him and how, how much longer is he going to continue to be a thorn in their side? You know, he's just, he always seems to be around. Yeah, he does. He always does seem to be around and he really does want, it seems a lot more control than, than even Olivia is giving him. Um, we'll get back to that in a second, but you know, while this is going on, back in 2044, we have uh, a very kind of Deacon-ish storyline going on where uh, he's dealing with the foreman over there. Now, um, I don't know if you guys remember, but have we met the foreman before? I can't remember um, if we if this is a character that, that we've met or is this the first time we're hearing about them? Um, Lauren or, or Hank, I don't – maybe you guys can fill me in on that. Uh, I think this is an initial – Revelation, I believe. Do you remember uh, Lauren at all hearing about the foreman? No, I think this is the first time. Okay, I just want to make sure because uh, it, it was a good introduction. I just was like, I wanted to make sure like I was on the same page because I don't remember that at all, and um, I didn't have time to go back and check. Uh, but you know, I, I thought this was kind of a cool little uh, subplot going on because you know the last couple episodes have been all about Cole Ramsey and Cassie, so it was cool to see Deacon again. Um, what, uh, Lauren, what did you think about his dealings with the foreman and how it led to Cole and Ramsey pretty much selling him out so that they could keep the peace, uh, in their, uh, in their, in their building? That whole 
like scenario in this episode was so crazy because Deacon pretty much tells them when you left the West seven, you left without honor. You didn't even try to kill me in my sleep. You just ran away because to Deacon, it's all about showing strength. And then Cole and Ramsey try to sell him out to the foreman and leave him there. (laughs) And at first I was thinking, Oh my gosh, we're done with Deacon. This is so weird because you know, it feels like he's such a main part of the cast this season. And then later he walks in <laughs> covered in blood, head to toe. Like, what? You think you could bring me down this way? I mean, not that it was attractive to see Todd Statuette covered in blood like that, but he just walked in with so much swag. Like, you know, um, how do you like me now? Like, he was just exuding kind of just his inability to be taken down. And it was surprising that like he handed Ramsey the, the, the weapons belt. Oh, and then he got revenge because the foreman killed his brother. And he was like, he was almost like telling them, all right, you guys, you manned up. I have respect for that. Like <laughs> go get some whiskey and let's have a drink. That's not the, rep- that's the response at all that I was expecting from Deacon. Yeah, it was it was a very uh, very surprising uh, response because after everything he just went through, you would think he would be you know pissed off. Deacon, Deacon you know, wants to do nothing but get revenge on on Colin Ramsey. Um, uh, Hank, what did you think of that? Do you do you think this is really like a genuine olive branch, so to speak? Like he's like, okay, guys, you know what I got? You got my respect. Let's throw back uh, uh, some whiskey and and we're good. I think Deacon sees it kind of as a compliment in a way because, you know, they were kind of these not goody goody guys, but you know they kind of they wouldn't do some that that was such a Deacon move by by selling him out like that. It was <laughs> it was double crossing and backhanded. You know that's something that we picture Ramsey and, and Cole, or at least Cole for sure, as being above. So I think when they do this, as you said, he's kind of like. Okay, cool, my plan's working. You know, I'm making them more like me, and so you know I think he kind of took it as, you know, kind of a pat on the back, kind of a, you know, high costing, nevertheless. But, and I think it serves to remind us, too, that, you know, Deacon is a, a bit of a badass. You know, he's a little more friendlier this year, and we're seeing different sides of him. But when I saw him covered in blood, you know, it's just a reminder, like, yeah, this guy can really do some damage. So you may <laughs> want to keep him on our side. Yeah, I thought what I liked about that uh, entrance uh, by Deacon was, you know, he's still... If anything, to me, he kind of came off a little more terrifying because here's a guy that we just saw was pretty much left for dead. Like, he was going to get taken out. But here he is back with the knives that were going to kill him and just covered in blood, like you said, Lauren. And and to me, he almost came off more terrifying in that moment because you're like, holy crap, like, three or four guys couldn't take him down, and, and, and now he's back. So I thought that was I, – I, I think, to me, that kind of made me love the Deacon character even more. And then the fact that he did say, hey, you got my respect. I mean, just something about that just made me like the character even more. And, and I think that uh, if, if Deacon didn't have a lot of if, – if he had, like, so many fans this week, I'm sure he had a lot more in this episode because uh, he certainly came off, like, even more likable than he has been this season. Um, now, getting back to uh, Jennifer and Cassie, you know, we had a pretty uh, pivotal moment with, you know – uh, Cassie drinking the tea and we talked about her going to the Red Forest and seeing Aaron but in that moment um, Jennifer is able to sneak away and 
you know, she takes out the uh, the messenger that was uh, you know, kind of parading around as her friend. But what she sees in this room is almost like a roadmap, uh, almost like well, a roadmap or a treasure map almost that is just everyone's names up there that they all know. And it's all pretty much from the witnesses. Uh, it's either his words or his point of view, or I'm sure. But uh, Lauren, what did you think of, of that reveal? Because, you know, up to this point, all we've seen, even this episode was just words being put on a wall very cryptically to Olivia. Um, you know, we really haven't seen much as far as, as this kind of roadmap. What did you think of that introduction and uh, maybe adding a little bit more of a layer to the witness character? I want to see that map up close. I want to see what else is on there. I was really fascinated by that concept of they can see where primaries are. They can see when people are born. They can see when they die. It was interesting that they didn't have Cole's death written under his name, but that they did have Jennifer's death written under her name. And part of me is wondering if the reason the 12 monkeys haven't paradoxed Jennifer Goins yet is because she hasn't died yet. And they can't use that piece of bone from her body until she dies. And it's interesting that Jennifer now knows when she's going to die. What was it? Like September 24th, 2044, something mm-hmm. like that. So it feels like she's supposed to die this season, which hopefully they prevent because I don't want to see Jennifer not be on the show, but I guess it would just be the older version of herself that would be on the show. Not necessarily the younger version. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's interesting to know that while Jennifer may have appeared to be like the crazy person in season one, she actually knows more about what's going on than almost anybody else. Yeah, she really has. I mean, you know, she talked to the Cole, to Cole in the very beginning and, and he had warned her, you know, primaries are are being hunted down by by these messengers of the 12 monkeys and you're in danger so that's how that all started um hank what did you think of of the road mac do you do you like the introduction of that and how it and like i said to lauren it, it adds a layer to the uh witness definitely definitely it, it's uh it produces a lot of curiosity just the amount of information they're able to gather and as lauren said how they can just keep tab on when they're born you know, this is is really something that has to take a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of skill or technology. But to come up with this type of information, it, it definitely raises a ton of more questions. You know, what else can they see? Um, you know, it is are are Ramsey and Cole are they going to eventually get someone on their side that can open up some of these avenues for them as well? You know, it just seems like. 12 monkeys that they're always just one or two steps ahead of them and jennifer helps even that a little bit but she's not really in control of herself so it's just you know it adds a lot as you said a lot of layers and a lot more mystery to kind of what's going the mythology is very rich and deep you know i know we reference um legends of tomorrow a lot on here um but that's because i feel like there's a lot of parallels with what they're doing and what they're doing on 12 monkeys and the reason I bring that up is because, you know, just real quickly in last week's episode, you know, they, they learned that all their everything they do has been preordained. Everything has been, you know, they're doing everything according to somebody's plan. Now, would you say that this is similar? Lauren, let me ask you first. Do you think this is something similar maybe that this uh, that this witness has tabs on everybody and, and maybe pulling a lot more strings than um, than everyone may think? 
Wait, say that again? So do you think that uh, The Witness might be pulling more strings than people think? Like, maybe there's a little bit loss of free will. Like, things are going according to what The Witness has planned already. Similar to what happened in last week's episode <laughs> of Legends. Legend. Yeah. yeah, oh my gosh. I think, I think yes. I think The Witness definitely has an end game in mind. For some reason, whoever this person is, has been motivated to destroy the fabric of time. And I think Jennifer Goins explained it, tried to explain it to Katerina last week when she made her drink the tea. And she essentially said, like she was talking about how the world is supposed to exist in this big cycle. Like people are born, people live, people die. You know, we get to experience life in between, you know, life and death. And yet what the witness is trying to do is to have everything happen at once. So everything is living, everything is dying at the same time. And you can't really sustain, you can't sustain a planet like that. I mean, it would, obviously it would tear everything apart. And so the witness clearly has some sort of motivation to have everything exists at once maybe whoever he or she was somebody died in their life and he believes that if if everything is living and dying at once that he could be reunited with the person that died i mean there's always motivation that drives people to do really crazy things and so it's possible that he's trying to end the world to get back to to either get back someone that he lost or like to get back something that he lost. Like he's obviously operating on this flawed premise that he can have everything at once. And so I think, yeah, he must've figured something out about time. Must've figured something out about time travel, which really makes me think he's from the future (laughs) because he seems to know way too much. Like, I feel like he knows everything, everything that we know. And then some, um, and I'm, I'm curious to know, like, why he's pulling those strings, like what his endgame is, why he wants the world to turn into this kind of life and death red forest. And that's what the messengers tell the people that they paradox is, I'll see you again in the red forest. So it's like he's trying to pull like past, present and future into one place. And yeah, he seems like he is bent on manipulating the timeline to achieve some sort of goal. You know, um, when, when, you know, we talked about this roadmap and, and learning more about the witness, you know, when this happens, uh, Jennifer takes it upon herself to uh, create a, um, uh, a distraction so that she can get to uh, Cassandra, you know, and, and when this all happens, you know, it's just like they're, they're about to get out there, you know, they're stopped by Olivia and, and she almost begins to, start to manipulate uh, Jennifer, at least it seems like that, up until Jennifer stabs her and, and leaves her bleeding out. And, you know, then we have the uh, the man in the black hat coming, and and instead of saving her, he decides, you know what, okay, you had your time. I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, to take over. It's it's my turn now. And, and even when he goes and he drinks the tea and he goes into the Red Forest, it's even written on the wall, this is your birthright. Um, Hank, what did you think about that entire sequence and how it led to the man in the black hat pretty much now being the lead on this? Yeah, I, I think, um, again, it, really a, a good setup from the previous episode, being that his mother was one of the messengers 
And, you know, on her deathbed, she pretty much told him, like, this is your destiny. You know, you've got a great destiny in front of you. Go out there and make it happen. And so you see it coming to fruition in this episode. And, yeah, just just following the journey, you know, from 1944 all the way to where he is now. And it just, the way things came have come together, you know, he must feel like the maestro of the universe. You know, now he's sitting at the at the front of the table, at the head of the table, and, you know, things are going to go how he wants. And it seems like he's a little more overt. He doesn't leave loose ends. So, it, you know, he seems like a very blunt instrument, and uh, he's going to definitely have to be reckoned with. Uh, Lauren, what do you think about uh, the man in the black hat becoming even more of a of a maybe even scarier villain as we go forward. That guy is so terrifying. And what's so funny is that I've seen that actor in other shows before, <laughs> and he always plays, like, the ominous, creepy character. Like, he was in season <laughs> one of The Blacklist, which I binged. Um, I binged, I think I binged it over the Christmas break. I was like, oh my god, he's playing the exact same guy from 12 <laughs> Which I bet in real life he's probably really nice. <laughs> it's just always funny when people are typecast. Um, you know what? It does not surprise me that he was like, oh, Olivia, I'm sorry you're lying here in this pool, like, dying, but I'm going to go talk to the witness without you. It didn't surprise me that he was like that, especially now that we know he is the son of a messenger. So, And he's still pissed at Cole for practically killing him in the paradox i feel like he has always wanted to run the show and olivia was always in his way and now he sees his opportunity and you know i love how he took the tea and was like trying to complain to the witness like <laughs> olivia is not doing her job i want to be i want to be your main guy like it's such a like a like a childish kind of way to go about it but you know, the witness said it was his birthright. So I think we'll definitely see more of him causing trouble for the team. And you know, at some point in this season, he's going to try to kill Cole because of that, that Jesus paradox moment that he's still mad about. So when, when this is all happening, when, when uh, the man, in the black hat is, is, you know, talking to the witness, um, I think, what did you, what did you think of that? Because, you know, it almost seems like maybe was Olivia maybe in the way because, you know, here we just talked a few minutes ago about, you know, the witness possibly having um, his hands in a lot more than we think he does. You know, was he maybe waiting for this, you think, this moment to happen with Olivia where uh, she pretty much uh, gets pushed out of the way and now he takes over? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think it is definitely probably according to uh, what he's already seen or knows. So I... I it seems like maybe, you know, one cycle was with Olivia, and in order to go to the next cycle, you know, the man in the black hat is the guy he's going to need to go with. You know, perhaps Olivia had just outlived her usefulness, and, you know, a lot of tribes in, in, the, in the wild kingdom, you know, to become the, the king, you know, you have to overtake the, the king that's reigning there. So, you know, he ascended, and it didn't seem, as you said, it didn't seem like the witness was upset or surprised at all. He's Seem like, okay, good, it's about time, you know. So, yeah, he's definitely uh, has some uses for him. And, you know, as uh, Lauren said, you know, he's going to be gunning for coal. And that's <laughs> never a good thing. No, it's definitely not. You know, and then, you know, to wrap up the episode, you know, we see Cole Splinter back to 2016 to meet up with Cassie. And, you know, he's talking to her about how they have to go for the primary, this, um, and, and how uh, he he's 
he's very dangerous. This isn't this isn't like uh, Jennifer. This isn't like Tommy, where um, you really didn't have much to fear with them. They were just kind of in a mental state where you knew they were just kind of talking. They were drawing these images, but you really didn't have to fear them. There was nothing necessarily terrifying or or threatening about them, and so we get this kind of tease that this new primary might be much more terrifying than something we've seen before uh, because it's hinted at that he, he's murdered people. Um, Lauren, what do you think of, of adding this different di- of a dynamic to uh, a primary who might be a bigger player than we think? Yeah, it, like the way that Cassie grabbed Cole's hand to say, you know, really watch your back with this one. And for Jennifer to say like, hey, this guy isn't just you know, a little crazy like I was or like, um, what was the name of the primary from the episode two weeks ago? It was Tommy. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she was trying to say, no, he's actually, like, pretty dangerous. What I thought was really cool about that was that when Jennifer was doing all of her sketches, she could see him washing his hands. And then when we got to see his face, he knew that Cole was coming for him. So it's cool to see that the primaries really do know what's going on, even though they kind of get the messages in a really fractured kind of way, that for the most part, they kind of get it. And I love that, um, gosh, I just, I know the actor's name. I just can't remember it right now. But he was an Ant-Man. He was... um, (laughs) Yeah, I know you're talking about. He was one of... uh, Scott Lang's friends who was helping him break into things. So I think it'll be cool to see him on the show. But yeah, if he's dangerous, then, you know, Cole might have a, might have a lot more problems than just trying to save him. Yeah. And actually to add on to that, he was actually in the dark Knight as well. Uh, he played one of the Joker's, um, henchmen who, uh, if you guys remember the scene where, uh, they try to take out the mayor, um, Harvey Dent takes him into the one of the yeah yeah and his and his the badge said Rachel Dawes it was that character is the same guy so I thought that was kind of cool as well um, now you know we're getting into the next week's episode and it looks like it's it's definitely going to be another crazy one um, a little bit of a, another Cole and Ramsey team up um, Hank what do you think what do you think is going to happen next week do you think um, do you think this primary is going to cause more problems than solutions for them. You know, my hope is there's finally someone that can help them defend themselves, you know, because the previous two, you know, with with Tommy, you know, they were more kind of dragging him along, not really dragging him, but, you know, he really couldn't fend for himself. You know, they had to kind of carry him along to, for his own good. And, you know, with the new primary, he seems to be aware of what's going on. Maybe he has more more of his mental state in a better shape, in a better place than uh, than Tommy did. So. While he may be a little reluctant to go into protection, perhaps he can, you know, actually bolster their forces. Maybe he can explain a few things to them, and maybe, you know, just not be a, a sitting target for the uh, for the messengers. Uh, Lauren, you have any predictions about next week's episode? Um, not not in particular. I guess I'm just excited to see them go to another time period to go to the 70s. <laughs> uh, I think it'll be fun to see. New York in that era. I know that Cassie mentioned the the Fear City reference and you know how New York was going through a lot of like trouble, like 
inner city trouble in the 70s. So I think it'll be cool to go to a different era. And of course, you know, getting Cole and Ramsey to team up for anything is always fun. Yeah, and I, yeah, I forgot to mention earlier that they gave uh, Deacon, Todd Stashwick's character, some very cool lines. I think one of the funniest lines in the show was when uh, just as about just as uh, Cassie's about to splinter, um, Deacon says, "Hey, it's time, Jesus." Time, Jesus. So I thought that was a, you know, just just a little banter like that is pretty funny when Deacon just takes little jabs and then you know because they they're calling him Teddy, so of course he's gonna try and take jabs right back at them. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the the banter between Cole and Ramsey because you saw that in this episode, and you're no doubt gonna get it in the next episode. You know. Uh, the other thing I'm wondering about is the reveal of, of Aaron at the end of the episode and, and how he's going to play a part in the next episode because, um, you know, we ha- like I said, we haven't seen him since, you know, his death in season one. Um, we don't know, like, what happened. His face is definitely disfigured. So, you know, is this, an, is this you know, let me, let me ask you, uh, Hank, is, do you think that this is just a vision shit that she's having or do you think that it's really him? I think it may be a, a vision. It could be a reoccurring vision that she's going to have that they're using to manipulate her, just as as, as uh, Lauren kind of said earlier. Uh, and maybe the disfigurement is just part of the guilt that she feels and what she would just imagine, you know, happening to him. You know, but I, I definitely think it's something where, you know, she's going to have to battle those demons and, and the way that, you know, once Cole came into her life, she kind of pushed him aside. So there's a lot of things that I think uh, are weighing on her psyche. And I think that's, you know, if the, uh, if the witness has any, any say-so in it, he's definitely going to use those to kind of steer and direct her to where he wants her to be to do the things that he wants her to do. That's a good point. Um, now, before we wrap things up, I wanted to ask, does anybody want to add on anything to what they saw tonight, what they enjoyed? Uh, Lauren, I'll start with you. Um, yeah, I, I love all the little kind of nuances that, that the writers always put into these episodes, like the song that was playing on Jennifer's phone when she was trying to distract Olivia, you know, I thought that was really funny. And, you know, I love that she was able to like get on medication and actually have a normal life. But then it was sad to see that the two women who were her friends were actually, working for the 12 monkeys and like that was kind of disheartening because i'm really rooting for jennifer to like come through this healthy and and happy um you know and i think it's interesting that she continues to hang out at the bar at that hotel at the emerson and how excited she was to see cole because we haven't seen her in a while we haven't seen her since she checked herself into rehab and since she decided to you know, like get her life in order since essentially since Cole saved her from committing suicide. So it was great to see her again. And it was great to see her like having drinks with friends. But then when she went upstairs to see if it was Cole and to realize it was Cassie, she she was so devastated. Surprise. (laughs) But Cassie was like, "Uh, actually you sent me here. So it's all your fault. I just, I love that kind of like back and forth kind of banter that they have. And then, you know, Katerina, we haven't really talked about her in this episode, but just that scene where she was on the roof looking at the red forest, like smoking her cigarette. She, she is not in a good place right now. I think she always believed that time travel was the way to fix the past. And now she's realizing that it's damaging the future. 
And I think she is really in a place of kind of losing faith. And I'm excited to see, like, what's going to be able to bring her back. Because, like, emotionally, Jones does not seem well. She was just, like, smoking and staring into the void. And, (laughs) you know, her boyfriend or whatever was like, come on, get in here. Like, you've never missed a splinter sequence. So I'm hoping that it doesn't take her too long to bounce back. Because I like fiery Jones. I like Jones, who's, like, excited to kind of rebuke Faith a little, or fate a little bit. But she just seems so just devastated about everything that's happening. Yeah, she's certainly in a not good place. And and I love her character, so I really do hope she does bounce back uh, sooner rather than later. Um, Hank, uh, anything you want to add on about this episode? I think it's it's just really cool. Uh, It seems like this is one of the episodes where they're pulling back the veil a little more for us on the inner workings of the 12 Monkeys. And we've seen more than we ever have seen of the witness. So it seems that, you know, little by little as the season goes along, they're really giving us, you know, a bigger peek behind the curtain to, to kind of see, uh, you know, what the 12 monkeys are up to. And, you know, they definitely have a huge advantage right now. And I, I'm just excited to see <clears throat> how they're going to be able to kind of uh, – that there has to be a way to counter that somehow. The witness, you know, he has to have a blind spot. And just trying to figure out – you know, what those weaknesses are. And uh, it's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm just, just excited to see where he take us for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked earlier about the witness and who the witness could be. It's going to be really fun to see that play out, at least that reveal play out the rest of the season. And I'm wondering who this could be. And if it is somebody that we have already seen, um, is it is it a minor character that we just, you know, saw an episode? Or is it somebody that we've known this entire time? Um, I did, I really loved the episode. I thought it was really good. You know, like I said earlier, I love the, uh, banter between Cole and Ramsey and the Deacon and Cole and him throwing out the time Jesus, you know, line. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and I also did enjoy, there was a Ghostbuster reference in there by Jennifer when she said, when, um, I can't remember the line exactly, but it was a Ghostbuster reference. And I was like, oh, very nicely done. I like that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I overall thought it was great. Um, I, I'm excited to see another period piece next week when they're going back to the seventies. I think it's, I mean, Cole and Ramsey teaming up to go back to a different time period. Like the seventies is going to be just a lot of fun to watch. And I'm, I'm really excited to see that happen. You know, this season two has just been really, really good. So just, just thus far has just been really, really good. I've enjoyed every minute of it. So, um, so that is going to do it for our show. Um, I hope we've, we've helped you get through, um, everything you're thinking about in this episode, we you know we tried to dig into theories. You know, we broke down this episode as much as we could. I mean, there's so much going on, and I know all our the all the wheels are going to be turning in our head as we wait to see what's going to happen next week. So, uh, all right, so that is going to do it for our show. Uh, Lauren, why don't you let every know everyone know where they can find you? Yeah, as always, you guys can find me on Twitter at Lauren Galloway. You can also find me co-hosting the Flash podcast, which new episodes typically air Wednesday mornings, and the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. New episodes usually air Friday mornings. You guys can also find me regularly contributing all the geek and movie and TV news you could ever imagine over on comicbookresources.com. And I also help run the Marvel Report. So if you guys are fans of Marvel, you can check us out at themarvelreport.com. Awesome. Uh, Hank? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at uh, HillDaddy0207. 
Uh, you can catch me on there. I'm also streaming a lot on Twitch, on uh, my personal channel, and on the GWW channel. Uh, so if you see me on, feel free to probably hang out. Always willing to chat. Awesome. And you can find me at Pacing Pete on Twitter. You can find us at Cena Nerd. Any any past after show you feel like listening to, you can go to our Cena Nerd feed. Uh, seen in our Twitter, you can go to Facebook, uh, and we're even on the GWW.com under podcast. So remember, we always come out with these every Monday following a new episode. So stay tuned as we get more and more into this second season of 12 Monkeys. Like I said, that is going to do it. We hope to see you guys next week. Have a good night. This has been a production of the GWW Radio Network. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, check out Geeks Worldwide at the GWW.com for all the latest news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, movies, TV, cosplay, and more. Geeks Assemble!